0: On today's show, I have Taishi Arai, a wandering artist who is bringing his global experience to Cebu. At a young age, Taishi was called by familial responsibility to help out his family business in Japan. In doing so, he would forgo the traditional path of finishing college. While in Japan, he shot nightclubs and the nightlife in Tokyo for four years. His journey as a photographer would take him to Los Angeles, where he aimed to crack into the high fashion scene there. In between these various journeys, Taishi would work on cruise ships, taking pictures for tourists, an experience he does not remember as fondly as he would have liked. Taishi is a good example of someone with real passion in pursuing a creative field, and he has my incredible respect for that. I do hope you enjoy today's episode. Hey Taishi, welcome to my podcast.
1: Hey, what's up Rami? Thanks for um, having me here.
0: It's a pleasure to have you on. Uh, Do you mind introducing yourself for the benefit of the listeners?
1: Yeah, sure. No problem, man. So my name is Taishi Arai. I'm 30 years old. Not that that matters. (laughs) But in case it will, you know, that'd be really sick for you guys to know my age. Really not important. But however, yeah, I'm 30 and I am a professional photographer and I run small ad agencies catering to small to medium sized businesses and occasionally big businesses too, depending on the campaign. But yeah, that's kind of what that's kind of the gist of what I do.
0: Cool. Very cool, Taishi. You know, Taishi, the reason why I'm having you on today is because we were introduced by a mutual friend Christine and she told me that you have this very rich kind of origin story. Do you mind sharing a little bit about that?
1: Yeah, yeah, no problem. Yeah, that's a really to me that's a I mean, do, do you know which which part I should probably start? <laughs> <laughs> I, mean,
0: <laughs> I think the most interesting part about your journey was probably that getting called to japan like that was probably a really good place to start. yeah
1: so yeah i think if i could sum my journey up i mean i guess you know if i'm gonna go back to my very origin story i was living in i was born and soon thereafter i went to japan until i was about seven or eight and then you know, my parents decided, hey, you know what, let's move this kid over to, you know, the Philippines, because uh, international schools are cheaper. And it is known in Japan that, you know, like, if you do speak English, it, it'll give you give you a better probability of being successful, and, you know, getting into a good company and all that good stuff. And uh, yeah, so I was studying here all the way till I was about 18. So, you know, I'm not entirely sure where I when I left Japan, but it must have been seven or eight. So I spent a good 10, 12 years here. So that's that's a huge chunk of my formative years. So anything that I've actually learned how to do, you know, beside like a- after the point of speaking, walking, and basically just breathing was all in the Philippines. You know, all the way till I was 18. I do, I do, however, acknowledge that you know my entire adult life, or my uh, middle adult life, to my adult life, you know, I've spent like over in Japan, in the states, and on a cruise ship, just traveling place to place but yes when that entire kind of thing started was basically my call to action you know if you put this in like film terms the start of my journey or my adulthood would be when i was 18 i was in i was in san carlos and i was there for about two years or something you know and then you know that's where actually where i met christine as well and a lot of my good friends here i met through college you know not that i don't hang out with my high school friends i still do and i love them to death But uh, the people that I regularly see and interact with even until this day would be the guys in San Carlos. You know, I think soon after that, my dad had a, a little problem with his restaurant. You know, um, at that point, I think just to give you guys a little background on what my dad does, he, he's a restaurateur. He has a couple of restaurants as well as like a watch shop. He's one of the watch shops that sold like higher higher end watches, you know, in Tokyo.
0: Was he, like, an AD or something? Authorized dealer?
1: He would buy stuff from Europe or, like, go to Hong Kong ever so often and kind of buy pieces and sell it, you know, in, in a store. But then there was this one very unfortunate event where, you know, one of his staff took all the watches. And we're talking, like, IWC, Panerai watches, you know, Rolexes, you know, just name it. And so it was a whole just collection of just all these watches. And, you know, that's kind of um, when he started losing all his money. And so you know, kind of that's it, you know, like he, he was in trouble, you know, for sure, and you know, he had a couple of restaurants too it's not my story to tell, I don't know why I'm doing this publicly, but then, you know, yeah, this little tax evasion thing, anyway, <clears throat> all that's resolved right now, thank God, so I could like freely talk about it, and it's not really like my problem to discuss, but I had to be, you know, I had to be the son I for for the longest time, I played the role of the receiver, you know, and I think it was 18 years past in my life and it was time for me to kind of give back and so What I did was I, you know, went back to Japan and kind of worked for the restaurant. You know, I guess in this case, you could say worked for the family, but (laughs) it was just, you know, I was just working there, you know, started off as a dishwasher. And then eventually, like after a few months, I began cooking in the kitchen. But while all this thing was happening, I've always had photography in the back of my head. You know, like I always knew if I was going to make it through something, it was going to be with a camera and definitely not the kitchen. But, you know, I was working there for about, you know, three and a half to four years and I just kind of like picked up a new skill that I involuntarily wanted. Didn't, you know, I didn't think I'd be able to learn how to cook, but I was able to do that, which obviously like helped me sustain you know, just keeping alive until this day. And then after that, my dad had to sell the restaurant, you know, because a good friend of his wanted to buy it for some other plans. And that's kind of when my cadence really started um, kicking in. That's when things kind of changed for me dramatically. It's not a word, but it's a word I came up with. I'm proud of it, guys, dramatically. Okay. And then I was looking online. I was like, man, how do I, how, what's my ticket? Like, how do I get to like the States or like, how do I go to the next position or like, how do I start taking photographs professionally outside the realm of like, outside the realm of, you know, like shooting nightclubs? Because, That entire time I was cooking, you know, since I got there, really, I've been looking for gigs. And so I'd be shooting, like, let's say, like, off-brand product stuff or, like, really obscure, like, portrait stuff or just, like, really super no-name or, like, random nightclub gigs. So I'd be shooting nightclub photography there.
0: What got you into using a camera in the first place, man? What really brought you around to the camera, not just as, like, a tool to capture images, but, like, as an art form?
1: Yeah, shooting the biddies. <laughs> just kidding <laughs> no but camera as an art form ever since i was young the only thing i did was draw you know i play with my toys and i draw and i get home from school i just draw that's what i did the entire time and so i guess like but drawing for me i'm not entirely too good at it like it's not my main craft and i i I'm pretty sure I could draw you something right now. And you'd be like, oh, okay, I guess you're pretty good, but you're not there. <laughs> but then I guess just the camera, everything about it was I kind of liked because it, it was technical. So it gave me some sort of edge, you know, just knowing how to, you know, I guess this is just camera turns, but knowing how to swim around my ISO, my, my um, ISO shutter speed and aperture, just kind of doing all that and all these like light jargon. It, it's kind of like porn to me. You know, I, I really like like the technical side of it, too. But then, yeah, I guess it started off as a hobby and then, you know, you just kind of fell in love with it. And it was also one of the ways that me and my father kind of like bonded. Also, he'd always teach me how to use a camera since I was young and at 16 i decided hey i'm will try taking my first photos and stuff like that you know with a camera but i didn't really know how to camera how to like shoot or use the camera till i was about like 18 or 19 but yeah the whole time it was just really an interest and but mind you this was really before Photography became photography now, you know, it was like pre Instagram thing where like I can my my 12 year old DSLR everywhere and people would be like, whoa, what the fuck is that tank on your hands? Like <laughs> You better throw that at someone they knock out, you know now it's you see a lot of cameras everywhere, but yeah Yeah, I got uh, that's that's basically when I started photography.
0: So let's like w- walk back a little bit and talk particularly about that you know your call to action as you like to refer to it what was it like like seeing all your friends continue on with college and you having to assume this well large responsibility as a young man to help your father with some of the problems he was going through
1: it was honestly kind of bittersweet you know but a lot of sweetness into it you know i mean at that time i was seeing i was dating this girl that you know um Yeah, I mean, it was going serious and pretty well, but at the same time too, I think I've just spent too much time here being like, I was just ready to leave, you know, like anything else, I was going through some stuff and you know, whatever happened to my father, I mean, I just wanted to A, help and B, just like change the scenery and experience something new. And every year growing up, I'd always go back to Japan like once or twice a year, you know, to visit family and stuff. And I've always looked at the place and I've always saw it as like a wonderland I've always only really thought about all the good things that would happen if I went there. You know, the grass is always greener. And the other side, that's kind of definitely it. So, yeah, I was nothing but stoked to leave. And, I mean, even if I left, it wasn't forever. Like, if if I wanted to come back, I'd always have that option, you know, to my disposal, which I kind of took. 10 12 years later <laughs> or uh, 10 years later yeah
0: so well, what's it like you know like especially as a younger dude like I can imagine like being young and then going to Japan with a with a camera particularly you get led into venues that you might not otherwise be able to get into what was that like
1: yeah it's super cool dude <laughs> you know <laughs> you get to you get to be exposed it's such a trip because you know if if I didn't have a camera my life would have been you know so 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 normal you know and when I say normal it's just you know like example, like I wouldn't go to nightclubs where I could see all these like crazy things happening. You know, that's you know normally where it starts. You know, you start exploring your youth through you know the night scene in general, and I was so very exposed to that. So it was just cool seeing uh, street culture at its most like messed upness, or like it's 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 the peak. Because when you say nightclubs, you know people. The energy is always great. When you say nightclubs, people are always at a nightclub to release such high energy. Like it's always fun being at a nightclub. You know, you know it's you go there to have fun, and so once you're kind of surrounded by that, it definitely change your changes your life a little bit. You know, at first it becomes good, and then you start reassessing your life, which is why. I, you know, (laughs) I then proceeded to the next stage of my life or my photo career as well. But it was super fun, man, nonetheless, for sure.
0: But do you have any, like, stories about, like, things you were able to see just because you 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 happened to be in the right place at the right time? Yeah,
1: there's, like, there's a whole, you know, different types of stories. But then I, I guess one thing I've always never forgotten was, you know, I... I was on Craigslist. That had nothing to do what, with nightlife, but I just wanted to kind of share this, you know? There was this this listing online where they needed a photographer. I'm like, dude, that's my shit. Like, I'm, I take photos. I'll do things for money right now, especially because working in the restaurant, it's not like I got paid, you know? Like, it's my father's restaurant, so I got, like, allowance. So whatever things that I would kind of earn for myself would be in taking photos of, like, nightclubs and events. And so, um, yeah, I, I, I basically take any photo gigs I saw, and there was this girl, and this closely relates to what you do too. I was literally hired to follow this dentist everywhere for like two entire days to see if he was cheating on anyone. <laughs>
0: <laughs> so
1: I follow this guy to like lunch. I was just, like, on the next table. I was like, okay, cool. And he walks somewhere else, gets, like, a drink or something. I'm just right behind him, like, just taking snaps with my camera. It's super weird, man. And after two days, I guess the contact was for two days. So, you know, after that, yeah, I mean, that, that was just one of the strangest things. But besides that, and let's say, okay, nightclub when you're in Japan was, I was really into, like, street photos then, you know. So taking photos on the street, and it's so fun doing that in Japan because you could take a photo of literally anything on the street, and it looked kind of interesting, you know? And so at least once or, like, twice a month, I would, I would point the camera at someone, and i get smacked in the face with a shopping bag, you know?
0: Why? Why?
1: No, because, you know, it's, like, public, and they're having a hard time, and all they want to do is, like, steal their moment, you know? Like, take a photo and, like, leave, <laughs> you know? But it's just little stuff like that, man. Or, like, rather than specific memories, which I definitely can say there is, you know? There are definitely a lot of members. I'm not sure if some of them I could say online publicly or not, but you know.
0: No, no worries. No worries. You don't uh, have to share anything you don't want to, but whatever you want to, feel free to share.
1: I mean, it's all right. I mean, I was young anyway, you know, so. You know, you're in Japan, so like, definitely just a lot of. You're very impressionable when you're young, right? And so, like, what kind of drives you mad or like what drives you is basically like. For me at that time, it was girls, you know? So it's it's just fun seeing all these, like, hot girls everywhere. You're like, damn, these girls are babes, you know? <laughs> like, no matter where you look, and that's that. And I guess that kind of fueled a lot of it, too. And seeing a little bit of, like, let's say, the Yakuza world, too. You know, hopefully I don't get, like, bumped for saying this. But, like, just a lot of nightlife and seeing, being kind of desensitized to all, like, the let's say the dark side of going out in Japan or, like, just that in general was definitely kind of,
0: an eye-opener maybe
1: an eye-opener it was that's when i started thinking yeah dude the world is definitely a lot more dangerous than it kind of like seems in the eye you know
0: so particularly with regard photography because photography is one of those things that's really hard to capture unless you're actually there and so i guess my question is really like what is legit photography like when is someone an amateur photographer a professional photographer and someone who's just pulling out their iphone you know Like what for you is the splits the difference?
1: Dude, honestly, this is such a good question, you know, because this is I mean, there's a there's really a fine line between being a professional photographer and being like like you said, as you coined an amateur photographer. Right. But I think the games have changed, man. I think it's more about confidence. It's more about, you know, longevity now. It's more about just getting with the times Because there are times where you have photographers with such little Instagram followers, but you can see their technique has been like it's 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 polished. You know, it's it's not something you kind of learned like just because you felt like it's definitely something you learned because you assisted. But to me, in my head, I think. I mean, it's just different, you know, like it's, it just varies in places, you know, what was professional photography before was different from what it is now. I can, however, explain to you a little bit or explain to all our uh, entire audience what professional photography in the editorial, like fashion side looked like before, uh, let's say in the States or in Japan was, you know, you in Japan, I'll start off in Japan, in Japan, you could have been a, you would be a professional photographer because you've assisted under... Uh, Uh, Under someone, a a, a photographer for a good three years, and they do things a little bit more strict over there, you know, so basically they would have you against the wall and when they they need you, they just call you and you'd have to run into that scene and go fix the lights or fix the stands or what have you and stuff like that. And it's really hard, too, because you don't really get rests, you know. You probably work 12, 13 hours a day. But if you work in the film industry, you know that that's very normal. But the difference is for photo assistants, you don't get to be a photographer unless you go through that every single day for the next three years. And in the States, after you've gone through that, then that's when the referrals start coming, you know, either they're like, okay, so he's ready to take photographs and, you know, you get to know producers and stuff and on sets and stuff. And they, you know, there's a lot of elbow rubbing in that industry. And then you get to be a photographer. You you start off with a job or like, you know, like free shoots in a magazine, time for, time for TFP sort of thing. TFP means time for print. So you can get your print out there and you can get your print out published somewhere if you're just going to give the time so it's a trade for your time for print
0: you've kind of been on all over the world really and like trying this whole well professional photography life right like how does the way that you practice photography in america or in japan for example differ from the way you practice photography here because and this is the implicit assertion of the question is i assume it's harder in the philippines
1: as much as i want to think that it is harder or stuff like that i think the reality is. It's not, you know, all a mixture between, you know, three key variables. You know, you have your talent, which is, you know, knowing how to solve a certain situation in case it arises. Like it's lower light here. Like what what equipment do I have at my disposal that I could kind of use to take the right photo, you know, get the right exposed photo. There's that talent. I mean, there's a talent slash creativity or whatever you want to call it. The element of that. Anyway, let's just call it the element of skill. And there's that element of just communication being able to sort of you know make friends within the people of any particular industry or you know just being able to speak to them and you know like honestly you're not going to get a gig if you're kind of weird as a person you know you got to be really cool i'm not saying you have to be laid back but people who are in charge of the jobs have to like you and yeah i guess it's just a good meeting of those two right oh and one more thing work ethics Like, that's it. As long as you work hard, are good with people, and know what you're doing, you'll definitely get somewhere.
0: Let me just tell you, like, a small anecdote, and then I promise I'll circle back. It's really funny because your response about, like, the sociability of photographers is very important. I actually had a friend of mine whose girlfriend was going to work in a law firm. And (laughs) I I told him, I was like, are you not worried? it's like, oh, why should I be worried? And I told him that, oh, you know, lawyers, they're, you know, nothing is sacred. Like, they're going to hit on your girlfriend. Right. And, uh, you know, they're not going to respect the fact that she's taken because they're lawyers. They're confident like that. And, you know, he brushed it off. But a few weeks later, he, d- he actually messaged me and uh, he asked me, it's like, how, so how can you tell if a lawyer is successful? I assume that some lawyers had hit on his girlfriend. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and then, oh, I told him that, you know, the way that you check if a lawyer is successful is by who his clients are. Right. And so that's kind of the be-all and end-all of measuring success with lawyers. Who trusts you with their sensitive shit, <laughs> all right? And so if I could ask the question to you, like, what makes a successful photographer in your mind?
1: Hard work, man. Hmm? It's really hard work and being cool. I mean, like, when I say cool, not as in, like, you know, uh, you know like, drip yourself in tattoos or, like, the hottest new gear. But I'm, I'm just saying, like... Just be cool as a person. Be understanding and um, don't be too pushy is always one big key takeaway too. Just be cool. Like, you know, like when people want to work with someone on set, they always want to work with someone they like, someone who's cool, you know, someone who's not going to show off or someone who's not weird about anything. And, you know, you have to pair that off with just really an unforgiving amount of like hard work. You know what I mean? Like the, the moment you complain with anything, you know, it's a small industry, man, or like yeah, that's it, man. Just be cool and have that really rock hard work ethic and you know have a little bit of talent, I think. <laughs>
0: your life was motivated like the adventure that you went on when you went back to japan was motivated by filial piety or that responsibility to your family which I, I very much respect having you know come from that a bit in my own context but what do you think though about like society and how it forced you to go on that journey like do you did you feel it was unfair that you know because of you know how ruthless the economy in japan is that you had to you know essentially derail your life to help your father
1: yes and no like obviously i wanted to go there but in through a different context you know not through the misery of or hardship my my father was going through at that particular time you know but how i felt about society kind of pushing me into a deep end i now retrospectively like i'm very happy about it you know i'm i'm glad i went through everything i went through otherwise i wouldn't get what i'm about to get and what i do or am blessed with now right yeah that was definitely hard man as a young kid like I think it took me until I was 23 or 20, 22 or 23 to understand that, man, life's not about me. You know, that's, that's when it started hitting me. You know, the shit just happens to people and sometimes you got to roll with the punches or sometimes you got to punch back. But, you know, nonetheless, like, you'll have your good days and your bad days, but it's not necessarily always about you. Like, the reason why I had to go back to, you know, Japan and stuff like that in the wrong context was totally for my family. That was their story that I'm sort of trying to aid and trying to like release pressure of, yeah. I think that Kind of happens a lot too, you know? I mean, like my mom and, you know, my dad, like anyone else, has you know, did a fair share of things too, like myself and I'm sure you too, you know? You know, it's, it's, it's those times where I kind of forget. I mean, I guess when I was younger, you know, you, you tend to blame your parents a lot for particular things, but we, we really forget that, you know, like they're, they're just kids, man. They're just like us. I'm still a kid. I'm 30. I still think like a damn kid, you know? <laughs> yeah, yeah.
0: That's like the unfortunate truth of it, that you realize that everyone's just putting on this face. And they're trying, they're trying their best to really make it through the day and to try to provide for the people they care about. And as a kid, you're completely ignorant. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You, you don't have room to be like grateful for these things that they do for you. Yeah. So looking back on it now, do you feel on the whole that journey was good for you? Do you feel you came out better for it?
1: I would preferably not go through it again. <laughs> yeah. But I'm over the moon about it. Now. Every day, I'm, I'm so grateful that I went through what I did, you know, and... Like I said, if, if, that, if that hadn't happened, then I probably wouldn't, you know, be here right now. Probably doing something else, you know, <laughs> like let's say if I did graduate college, like I'd probably be working for someone else. I mean, there's no shots to that. That's completely fine. I mean, you know, but yeah, I, again, I was blessed to be able to run my own thing right now um, alongside other projects, too, which I'm completely happy about and had had anything in history not gone the way it did. You know, I, I I probably wouldn't be here right now. That would be a mystery.
0: <laughs> do you think about going back and finishing college?
1: No, honestly, no, man.
0: Yeah, is you, you feel like it's inessential for what, what it is you want to do with your life, maybe.
1: Or w- maybe it's a different reason. I would go back. and I mean, I did continue my studies, like, in the States. But then it was, you know, more to stay there for... A, it was a visa reason, you know, to be able to stay there as opposed to really, like, learning, like educate myself with these golden nuggets these schools had to offer. But I then realized that, I mean, which is the same exact reason why I had, I'm i like, pretty much like tattooed everywhere too. It's because I know that the normal, the normal way, let's say society um, expects of you is not the same road for me, you know? So going back to college would actually make things harder for me in the longer run. It's something I'd have to sculpt all over again from the start. But But to answer in a different perspective of that question, I would actually like to go back to college or like some kind of like education to maybe learn something that I'm I'm more interested in learning about that. I know nothing about, you know,
0: but like so what what might that be like if you had the chance to like go back and try it again?
1: I'd actually maybe like to learn a little bit more about woodworking. (laughs) Yeah, I'm kind of getting into that right now, you know, but in my journey in Japan, I've 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 worked as a carpenter for three months as well. You know, so I just kind of want to learn a little bit more about woodworking, maybe, you know, make my own like shed sometime. (laughs) I don't know.
0: Is that something that kind of a theme about you? You know, you like to work with your hands. Maybe is that is that something is that an accurate observation you'd say?
1: Not so. I mean, I mean, I do like working with my hands. I don't have a problem with working my hands, especially like, you know, after cooking and after, you know, working as a carpenter and all this and all that, especially being a photographer on a cruise ship. Whoa, that was a fucking ride. What was that like? Go ahead. Oh, man. The cruise ship was a whole nother beast. Uh, to any other listener that's been on a cruise ship or that's working a cruise ship, I'm sure you guys would understand. And you guys can empathize to that working there for an year and three month straight Extending my contract for about five months was crazy. I, I really was on a cruise ship. I wanted to see how crazy I could get, how much, how how far I could push myself right before the brink of just losing my shit. You know what I mean? So, um, yeah, so usually the contracts are like eight months at a time and that's long. But I was like, hey, let's try to stay as long as we can. Let's see how long we can stay on this damn ship without losing my, spilling my brain. So, yeah, that, that's kind of what happened, dude. It was, it was wild, man. The experience on a cruise ship totally totally not what normal people would think it is. And for me, it kind of killed my craft a little bit and the creativity of it, you know, because every day I'd have to literally pull people aside from their vacation, you know, and like just force them to take a photo in my studio. And so it was just just a whole year and a, a half-ish of doing that, and it was just not fun. Like people would be eating, you have, you have mind you, People in the crew, there's about, like, the ship that I was on could accommodate 8,000 people. And we had a target. So every time they ate dinner, it was dinner time. We had to take about 300 photos times three. (laughs) Okay, so that's 900 photos and 300 each set. And these photos have to be uh, photos of them eating food. So while you have families on a dinner table, um, you know, fighting over matters like um, financial matters or like marital problems or like just some kind of bullshit, you know, like normal bullshit people kind of deal with in their families and normal kind of like fights you'd have. I'm there in the corner. I have. I, I. don't have a choice. I mean, it's nice. I mean, I. I'm, I'm sorry to disturb your very intimate moment over here, but I really have to barge in and take your photo. So, first thing I do, they have these. I like, was like, yelling at each other. I just had to go in. Hey guys, shoulder to shoulder. You know, close your mouth, guys. <laughs> you know what I mean? Oh it's just that for like a long time. So that definitely gonna. And working on cruise ships, you don't really get day offs. It's not. It's not a thing you know, every single damn day, seven days a week. And that's no exaggeration. So yeah, that's been fun. And every time, you know, like after every shift, you kind of go back to the bar and you know, you, you drink, you know, you do the same thing. People not on ships. Do you drink, you talk to the other girls and there's always some new recruit or somewhere for some other country. So you just kind of hang out with them and you know, vibe with them and stuff. So that was fun from when I was young, I guess.
0: What were the girls like from these countries? Where were they from? Were they mostly from the Philippines or what?
1: No, no, there were um, men everywhere, you know, you got your Canadian girls, you have your European girls, you have your, like, when I say European, there's a lot of, like, Russians, a lot of, like, girls from Slovenia or, like, you know, Ukrainian girls, beautiful girls, man, (laughs) and on our ship, there was an entertainment, like, I'm sorry, guys, if I'm sounding super, like, misogynist, but that's really not my intentions, I'm just... You know, out here to spread the truth of my youth. (laughs) But yeah, just a lot of fun, man. The friends you get to make, you're with them 24-7. So you're going through shit as they're going through their own shit, very similar to yours, you know? So it's a fun little gang. It was its own world. I just had to leave because I had to pursue my photography. I knew or really thought was convinced that I was born to shoot editorial photos. And so that's kind of what I pursued after that.
0: Mm. So what have you done in the way of trying to
1: do, you know, materialize your dream? To
0: kind of be that professional photographer, like what progress have you made in that direction?
1: To be a professional photographer, that was like, I I did take a lot of photos professionally. But I regret to say that right before that opportunity kind of came by. Because I mean, when I guess this is kind of circling back to your earlier question, when you say like professional and an amateur, I was in that industry. So that means, like, after four, after three and a half years of just like looking for, you know, an in in the industry, I finally got in as like a photo assistant. Mm-hmm. But then, being a photo assistant is, it's actually a really high accolade in this industry, you know.
0: Japan or America? The states. The states, okay.
1: So yeah. Anyway, after the ship, I moved to the states because I knew I had to pursue something bigger than myself. And with my dreams being shooting the September issue for Vogue someday, you know. On the back of my head, literally 24-7, that's the only logical thing to do was move to the States and try to figure it out, you know. And then, anyway, three and a half years of just, like, working again in the restaurants and, like, stuff like that, odd jobs and here and there. I got an internship with Milk Studios and Milk Studios is the most prestigious place you could basically intern at for photography, for fashion photos, for celebrity photos. So you know, every day you kind of see people like Kim Kardashian come in or like The Weeknd or like, you know, just stuff like that. So I was definitely, after doing freelance work for that studio, I was then, I then had my foot on set and so I became a photo assistant. And so that was the funnest thing ever, you know, because while I was still shooting professionally for, let's say, other brands as well, I would still be assisting a lot more, you know? So I was assisting all my favorite photographers. And, you know, these are the photographers that I've been following since I was a kid, you know? I'm like, oh my God, you know?
0: Mm, go ahead, name them.
1: So you have your friends, your homies work for people like Miles Aldridge or like people like Jurgen Teller, you know what I mean? Like I haven't directly worked with them, but like, let's say I would be like placing in... I would be setting lights or like in the studio, just like fixing their set. I'd be like, okay, so I guess this is gonna be tomorrow, huh? you're gonna be shooting here, or like Ma's gonna be shooting here, and all these like big name like Japanese photographers too, and then, yeah, and it's it's just such a cool thing, man. It's it's like, it was a dream come true because I knew that I worked so hard to be a to be. A photo assistant, but I didn't even know like I was too proud when I was younger to be a photo system. Like, nah, I ain't gonna be a bitch to nobody. Like I'm not you know what I mean? But that's just the steps of photography you kinda have to take in order to really take the lead to make the next step, you know? It's like the little platitude they say, dude. Like you can't you're not know, you're not gonna know how to spend a million dollars if you're not gonna know how to spend a thousand dollars, and you're not gonna know how to spend a thousand dollars if you don't know how to spend a hundred, and you're not gonna know how to spend a hundred if you don't know how to spend ten. You know? So me trying to be a photographer right away, be a professional photographer right away was a big, it was kind of a big red flag. It just wouldn't have happened either ways. You know, you're not going to meet someone at a bar and be like, hey, can you take photos of this? That's not going to happen. It's going to happen because, you know, you start from being a, a, an assistant or like a photo studio manager. And then you start getting your foot on doors on and gigs and stuff. Yeah, that's kind of what I did. And I was able to, you know, let's say assist for big photo shoots like there was a calvin klein campaign that i kind of assisted too so we were kind of in charge of all the lights and all uh, lights for that too i mean we'd also set the cameras up you know like sometimes we kind of shoot too like say the photographer's doing out, out there doing something else or like says hey tash can you shoot a second angle so we kind of get there um yeah in that campaign you see people like you know like kendall jenner travis scott you know all these uh, some of these guys the weekend it was it was definitely cool i was i was there and i was like Oh my God, that's, that's insane, man. Like, you know, that's, that's incredible. Then I, okay, just to give a little context on on how, like, how bummed I would be feeling today had my mindset not been the way it is now. A lot of people that I freelance with are out there shooting all the red carpet stuff, you know, which is really cool. I'm super proud of them. But there's a little part of me, of course, that thinks, damn, dude, like, if I had just stayed there a little bit longer, like, shit, that could have been me, you know, like, That's the homie. I was bitching about like the same workload he was when he was there and you were like shooting neck and neck. But yeah, being there definitely taught me a lot. Like I was able to work with relatively big name modeling agencies and stuff like that. So I would be shooting for their faces and stuff like that. And, you know, throughout my last two or three months or like six months, I I started getting, you know, like the gigs that. I I really wanted to get, you know, shooting for clothing lines and stuff like that. That wasn't really, like, definitely on the way to getting bigger. Like, shooting for people that have, like, you know, blue marks on their Instagram and stuff like that. So that's, yeah, I mean, I don't know where they're diverted to, but that's, that's that. You know, like,
0: there's that whole process that you have to go through when you're young and you're learning a trade. Like, me personally, as a lawyer, like, it's really rough. When I finally got the grip of, like, exactly what it is I needed to do, To be able to file pleadings and like to get a case, it suddenly dawned on me. No wonder like lawyers are so expensive. This shit is brutal, (laughs) right? Like the first time I ever had to file like a pleading that was over 500 pages long, I was like, "Oh man, how much did I bill for this again?" Whatever it was, it wasn't enough. Mm. Like, and but you know, as you get older, like you realize, like, and pardon my French, eating shit is probably part of the job. You know, it's part of the process of getting better right and so you know but I'm, I'm pretty sure you learned a lot when you went through that process if you don't mind though like maybe just some of the things that can be conveyed in a podcast can you tell us a little bit of what you learned makes a good photo
1: what i learned makes a good photo i think usually what happens behind the photo really that's you know yeah most certainly you know i mean what makes a good photo nowadays, you know, a lot of these, you know, you can go on YouTube and figure out, like, the best colors and sort of copy the colors that are coming from a particular place. But for me, I don't know. I, that's the like, there's still a lot of photos that, I guess, I, things have changed now. Now, I'm more, now being here back in the Philippines for about two years, you know, I think my interest has definitely changed a little bit. Before, I was really a lot of into, like, fashion, all these, like, super, super superficial, you know, aspects of, let's say, photography. But now, I think, I think I enjoy it real photos. I don't think you necessarily have to be a really good photographer, or like a professional photographer to be able to take a good photo. But if we're talking in a commercial sense, I mean, you know, there there are standards of a good photo. You know, there, there are standards of a commercial photo, I guess for any photographers that's listening to this, that's where, where they're more interested in. But yeah, just being able to take proper lighting, proper color, you know, proper pose and the proper model. But I guess if you want to take a good commercial photo, It would have to be the proper talent and the proper exposure at the proper location, you know.
0: So actually one of the things that I personally confronted and I want to ask you a question about is, well, me personally, like being able to file a 500 page pleading with over like 50 exhibits. Right. That would have only been possible because of like the ease of technology. You know, like the fact that I can digitize all the documents my clients give me, the fact that I can keep them all neatly organized in right. like a central database. This basically makes it so that I can do the work of lo- like five lawyers from like 30 years ago. You've been doing photography for about 10 years, right? Is that, is that accurate?
1: Well, About like 12, 15, maybe 12, 13, 13, I, I guess. I'm oh, sorry, I guess.
0: 16, you said, right? That was my mistake. Yeah, 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 yeah. So 15 years of photography, what has changed in the way of technology to make Photographer is more capable in that time.
1: Oh man, so there's myriad ways that like people really excelled. Like what other people, what took me a few years to understand, really could be consumed or like learned within a month or less of like you know what do you call this? Just like just really focused learning. You know, it's just you concentrate everything and maybe learn it in a week. I guess if you really try to retain all the memory and education, because I mean before the the only real way. You used to be able to, you know, get a certain photo as, as if you had to figure out, you know, figure out, A, how to use a camera, B, you to figure out how to use a software, and, you know, then you dive into a software a little bit deeper, and you think, oh, so this changes it, and what, what happens is when you start using a software, your photos change a little bit, you know, because you realize, okay, so you can do this to that photo, but then it's funny because later on, well, in my experience, you know, I, I've understood that like simple is always the best. But I went through hoops of like being very technical with my photos. Now I don't like technical photos anymore. I like very real, very raw, natural light photos and stuff like that. But I also like I also really appreciate well lit photos that you know like you see a lot in like Calvin Klein ads or like you know like Uniqlo ads. I appreciate that kind of stuff as well. Yeah, definitely. What make it's, it's cool because to anyone that wants to learn photography now, you, you have YouTube at your disposal. Or, you know, you want to pay $10 for a class, you know, you can get that. And you're like a pro right away, you know. <laughs> but it's, it's, it's different. Going through it through experiences, definitely, definitely, like, a different... It was, def- it was a different pride that I carry on my shoulders.
0: Mm-hmm, because, like, you know, you didn't just learn something. There's a story behind this oh. lighting trick you learned, right?
1: The li- lighting trick I learned, you know, posing, everything was definitely, like, hard-earned for sure.
0: What is it like, though? Right Like you have this incredible love of photography, and yet somehow you're forced to like take this thing you love terribly and try to use it to make a living right like and like you really have to f- take this thing you love and then turn it into a product mm-hmm. like what feelings does that engender in
1: you yeah that's a fantastic question that's a great question, man yeah, it's definitely you definitely have to have a very particular mindset to be able to you know have longevity and you know. For me, holding the camera in a context where you don't necessarily feel like it, you know? So I it, it's harder for me to hold the camera now unless I know I'm inspired, you know, to shoot something that I normally shoot because having an agency now, uh, that uh, my, my, my main package or my main takeaway that clients expect of me is to hold my camera and shoot things that, you know, I wouldn't normally shoot or I'm, um, you know, for lack of a better coining, like I'm not too excited to shoot about like, Stuff that you know, I'm. I mean, I, I love product photography, and I do have experience with that. But then it's not something I want to do all day. But you know, just over the years, over like decades of you know learning it, it kind of taught me to separate what makes. It's just being a grown up and understanding that hey, I have this ability to sort of like change people's businesses to you know, to enhance their passion or to make whatever look good and, you know, post it on social media or like run an ad for it. And so I kind of, yeah, I mean, I, I, I I love it now, but it's a different kind of love. It's not the same love as I would like, let's say have when I'm shooting fashion or like portraits, but it's still definitely like love for sure.
0: When was the last time you, you know, picked up the camera for yourself and shot something for yourself? You still do that often? Or is it like, you know, you put the camera down when you get home because you're tired?
1: Well, that kind of stuff doesn't really bother me. Again, I've been doing this like 12 years. I've had my camera in my hand for 12 years now. Um, holding a camera for anything else, it doesn't... There was a time where it really bothered me, especially on the cruise ship, but after that, I realized, hey, man, this is just a skill I have. It's, a, it's more like a second... It's, it's like breathing to me. Um, the last time I really shot something that I was very, very excited about was... It was two weeks ago, actually. My, my good friend, Danny Bautista, fucking uh, killing it in his craft, too. Um, what is he doing? What is he doing? He's a skateboarding Philippine coach, okay. so he handles like Margie Didal, you know. The um, he coaches the entire skateboarding team, and he's a filmer too. So he, he goes out, goes in and out of the country. Actually, a lot of times, um, he's not He's, uh, he's giving him and his wife Sam. They, they both just they both gave birth today. But two weeks ago, we shot like a maternity thing. And when I'm you know when I'm kind of serious about the photograph because I don't shoot on digital, I use my little chunky medium format camera on film. To like shoot something, cause that's what I normally do. Like I don't really shoot a lot of digitals. I shoot. I love shooting on film, just cause it's just the medium that I kind of prefer. You know, like not being able to see the photos afterwards. I take it and you know just kind of like take a risk, and, you know, and just like take a photo and wait till a few weeks, you know, few week, weeks to a month to see the outcome. That's kind of my jam. But yeah, that's the two two weeks ago was when I shot something real.
0: That's actually really interesting because you're the first photographer that's ever articulated that they really, really like film. Like I have my friends who are photographers, and they they love their digital SLR, you know, or like mirrorless or whatever it yeah, is yeah. now. I don't know what I, I, these words mean nothing to me. By uh, the way, yeah.
1: uh, me too. <laughs> <laughs> to be honest, uh, but what is the difference? Uh, film versus digital? This teams? is this is always something people say, but it's really true. it's the dis, and it's. Just the fact that like all my favorite photographers that I look up to even until now, you know, this is the camera they kind of shot everything in. And so when you shoot something like that close to the same lighting conditions they shot, whatever they were shooting, when you fell in love with photography was with the same exact medium, the same camera, you know? So those are the kinds of camera, I mean, the uh, medium that kind of moves me. But yeah, dude, like if, but in general, like I don't think one is prettier over the other. It's just which tool is better for a certain like, digital cameras would obviously be helpful for, you know, giving, like, stuff with a fast turnaround or, like, if you want something super quick, you know, and if you want something to look right. If you want something to look right and you need it to look right, obviously, and you don't want to spend money, uh, then you shoot with a digital camera. I mean, it's the best. It's, it's the new standard, right? I just thought, I, I just personally want to shoot with my favorite camera if I'm shooting something I really love and I'm just more comfortable shooting on film, you know? Because you get, like, six, for me, I get, like, 16, I get 16 shots within a roll of film, and I usually carry on three or four with me, and it's, like, it's about, like, 700 pesos for, like, a film, you know, so it's, like, I don't want to fuck that up.
0: (laughs) No worries, man, yeah, Yeah. I completely understand. I mean, just just to, like, relate also, like, I'm a lawyer, I spend a lot of time on computer typing, and so, like, I've gone through, like, five or six different keyboards because mm-hmm. like the way i interact with like microsoft word is suddenly such a big deal to me because yeah, it's yeah. like it, it, it's it's in at least half of my day you know and so like the tool I, for whatever reason, even if like there's only marginal two percent in like the comfort or the ease it, it still matters it's still it's still useful to me you yeah. know what
1: i mean yeah dude definitely
0: mm-hmm. so what is success now like as a like for you, like cause considering you you came from what what's really interesting about your story is that you were in Japan where they have high fashion scene, and you uh, California is it that have yeah, right? LA, yeah LA, right there is a high fashion scene there. You went from there and you came back to Cebu without without me step on it right or offend you right the the ceiling is lower right so what is success for you now that you're here
1: I love it <laughs> it's uh it's it's something this is actually. Wait, you mind if I dip my toes into like the precursor to why I moved here? So, after three years of cooking in a restaurant, man, this is where it starts getting interesting. After three years of just cooking in a restaurant, and just every single time I hold a pan, like I couldn't wait till the day where I get to sit in an office, you know, in an air-conditioned room, you know? <laughs> just listening to music and typing away and doing some admin work, you know? I guess it was just the grass is always growing on the side. And so... I got this and I went to school for marketing, you know, like most of my my life even in even the states even here And it kind of never made sense to me. I mean with photography it does but like I got my first marketing uh, position, you know for this super small like clothing line over at the states and then all right, so I'm gonna uh, I'm gonna shift my tone a little bit over here, my man. You know, like from from an artist tone a little bit more to like a uh, marketer's tone. Uh, yeah. So when I started working for this clothing line, you know, I didn't know that I had it in me to be like a good marketer. I basically when I was working there, even if I was for like minimum wage, you know, because it was a uh, it's a they, they they don't make that big a bread as compared to like you know bigger brands like Nike or whatever. So we were working with a smaller collection, but definitely. So where where they get most of their money was not from direct to consumer, but it was, uh, you know, trade shows and they they'd kind of like, uh, distribute to resellers and uh, kind of uh, resellers or retailers who show their stuff and sell them. It was my job to make a channel for direct to consumer. So I had to make an online store for that. And to me, what seemed like a normal desk job, I didn't realize would kind of like save me later on. And so everything that I'm feeling right now, like all. Everything that I do right now was really like a little mix of everything that I've learned. Uh, Just, mark, you know, taking photos and stuff like that. I mean, I I guess even cooking here and there. So this will all tie in later. It'll be super interesting, I promise. Or not, you know. And uh, so, yeah, the marketing thing. And the kick, I started working for them. And, you know, we made this online shop and it. It finally got to a point where it sold $6,000 a month on clothes they never used to sell direct to consumer with. And I was super like, ah, damn, that's so fucking cool. Like, I'm able to move that much money through what I do, right? And even then, you're like, you know, like $6,000 to me is like a crazy amount of money, you know? And I'm like, whoa, whoa, I do this every month. And sometimes I go eight, nine, you know? Like, but it stayed around the seven, eight for the longest time. And after, like, when I had left, it was around 10, 12, maybe thousand a month selling clothes through a system that I created, you know, a funneling system that I created. So I made I made the entire mar- email marketing funnel. So that kind of definitely helped a lot in its growth. And all of a sudden, like two two years later, I had to come back here to Cebu. I mean, I didn't have to, I chose to come back here. And then I still needed like a job, you know? I, it, it sounded like I could start out cold over here and start working for someone else and, you know, earn a like, uh, compensation and living. And so, I made a deal with them. I was like, hey, man, I'm going to be back in the Philippines. I'm still going to do your stuff the same way I did. Just like pay me, just, just pay me a little lesser. And so they said, okay. And so what happened was I grew that ten to $15,000 a month sales, and I created this online system. And now they're making upwards of 150000 every single month. You know, can you imagine being a clothing company selling $6,000 in clothes and bitching about it? And Taish, Taish, please, please, let's please get this to 20. Do you think we can get this 20? Well, they told them, I don't think I can, man. It's just impossible. And here I am now, four years later, you know, $5,000, $6,000 every every time I send out an email. And so that's when it really dawned on me. I was like, hey, if I had this power to to change this one clothing line through, you know, visuals and a little bit of thinking and common sense, I could maybe do the same thing companies out here too Mm -hmm. and so that's when my whole entire life has chipped uh to so that's what i would consider myself as now so my craft is a little bit different now i do a lot of like facebook ads for uh i do a lot of facebook ads and that of social media scheduling marketing and stuff like that and providing images that hopefully change profits (laughs) well
0: well, yeah no but then like that's a that's a really good journey to go on and like it's so interesting how the different aspects of who you are came together in this, in what your identity is now, which is a marketer, yeah. right? Like, I always say that, you know, necessity is really the mother of all invention because, like, me personally, like, the reason why I'm starting this podcast is because I really like, number one, I like interesting conversations. I like talking to interesting people. I like hanging out with this, this this podcast gives me an excuse to do all of those things. But the second reason why is because as a lawyer, I'm not actually allowed to, like, market myself. It's one of the, I can't take out an advertisement in the newspaper or on social media, for example. I can have a page, but I can't, I can't take Facebook ads, for example, because that's unethical. And so, you know, this podcast was really my way of trying to bridge that gap. Like people need to know, like people, people don't want to come to a lawyer and then think to themselves, like, you know, how do I know this guy? How do I know he's like personable? How do I know that I can sit in a room with him and bear my guts to him if I don't even know what he sounds like? And so, you know, this Podcast was one of the ways I tried to solve that problem, by letting people get to know me before getting to know me. More power to you, man. Like, I really impressive that you started your own marketing agency with the impressive repertoire of skills that you have at your disposal. Insofar as your marketing agency is started and do, is doing well, how do you find clients?
1: Again, it's I, I think that kind of falls back into just being kind of cool, you know? and <laughs> you know, Just being kind of cool and, like, doing your best, you know? And, you know, we showing up for work. definitely... Fulfilling the packages, people kind of talk. How how I experience getting clients now? If I would want to go hard, I would go door to door. But right now, I'm at um you know, and I, I guess it's not a good problem with in that yeah, it's a capacity. <laughs> you know, I'd have to figure out your bottleneck now because you have too much work. Is that it? Yes, but in a good way. You know, so I need to figure out. I, I I I need to dive into the adult part of figuring out scaling before I take. A lot more but that's in the works too definitely bigger collaborations it's just it all started man when i say hard work and being cool it's just you know showing up for work and you know p- giving it your uh doing your proper research and then basically like people just talk you know i do this thing for one client and gives them results because that's always what i want to give them more than anything you know i don't really want to give them a beautiful photo they could do nothing with i want to give them a beautiful photo that a lot of people could kind of connect with and give personal persona to their brand right so yeah, it's just, it's mostly referrals that kind of got me, you know, to, to be where you are bottleneck right now. Wait, you know?
0: wait, so, what percentage of your clientele are in the States versus here?
1: Yeah, I, I just have that one job in the States for the marketing, but besides that I mean I I, I thought that it was I was best it was less complicated well I was under this whole like idea of or like under this romance before where like you know maybe I could work here and you know get clients from the states and stuff like that but the reality I think is you know that could be done too but there's a lot of people here in cebu that I think you know without sounding pompous or anything like I think that I could possibly help, you know, like I I came back to Cebu for a reason because I also think it's it's a it's a really rapidly growing city. And what the Cebu we know now is not going to be the same Cebu that's going to be five years. And, you know, with all these growing companies, I thought it would be best to sort of like create this structure where, you know, it it would kind of help the aid of, you know, the, the growth of the city. I think I'm all for that, you know. That's why before even a year ago or like two years ago, I thought, man, I'm gonna get more clients in the state, that's more money and stuff like that. But, you know, I mean I could still work here, you know, obviously that's a little bit lesser than what you would get over there, but then, you know, it's 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 kind of cool. It's now I'm at a point where like I've been busy my entire life, man, even in the states, even in Japan I've been juggling three, four jobs, you know what I mean? Like that's just the kind of hustle that I'm used to and, and, and keeping that same cadence over here definitely has been working well with me, you know, and and, and my company too, like Crayonworks, that's it.
0: This is the last question I usually ask, and this is like to cap the podcast so that people can look back fondly at the episode they recorded. Where do you think you'll be in five years on this journey that you're on?
1: Five years? Man, five years, I hope I could sustain whatever I'm doing right now you know, but if the ties change, that's completely fine too. But my five-year plan is obviously scale it. Maybe, maybe, maybe do the same exact thing that I'm doing now, but figure out a way to, you know, have, be able to accommodate more people with a bigger, more, uh, you know, more able uh, team, you know. Mm-hmm. I think the team I have right now, they're completely amazing. They do the best at what they do, but I'm very, again, I'm very super fortunate to be to be encountering problems like scaling and like having to do that. Yeah, hopefully I get to figure that out and within five years, In my personal life, too, five years, I I guess I would like to say I'd be married, (laughs) you know? (laughs) You know, I don't know, man. Or not, like, either way, it's good. It's nice being single, but it's also nice being tied down, (laughs) you
0: know? (laughs) Okay, I don't know, tied down can be interpreted in one of very many ways.
1: (laughs) Oh, man, the better way. I want to get a better way. I've always thought to myself, my man, I'm I'm just going to, you know, I've always kind of wanted a dog, you know, (laughs) because I moved back in my old house now in Macdon. and i've always wanted i was, I was thinking man so there was another person like another person i know you're selling pit bulls. i was like damn i'd really love to own a pit bull, but like i just can't take care of it you know <laughs> it's something stupid but yeah in all honesty in five years i want i still aim i don't i don't wish to be able to do what i'm doing now i will still be continuing it i will still be crushing it yeah dude i think that's kind of that's it i i just
0: Well, you know, you more than any other podcast guest that I've had on, if things do go, as the British say, tits up and things become unpredictable for a bit, you more than any other podcast guest I've had on will probably be able to cope the best.
1: Uh, I I honestly think that'll be like, if things go tits up, that'll be stressful for a while, but nah, I'll have fun with it. I'll figure something out, you know.
0: (laughs) Taishi, thanks for coming on my podcast.